while women who write take flight. As women who write, we recognize the importance of supporting one another because together we are stronger. Our goal is to provide this support through discussions about developing character, setting, plot, and dialogue. We will include interviews, panel discussions, and informal chats. Our team of Wild Women includes Gabby Anderson, author of South of Happily, a novel that started as a love letter to a lost parent and turned into a story about staying sane when life tries to shove us to the business end of a meat grinder. She is currently writing the second book in this series, North of Happily. Kim Connery, author of the sci-fi romance Stealing Aries and the memoir, You're Not a Murderer, You Just Have OCD. She also writes a blog to bring awareness to OCD at harmocdkimconnery.com. April Dilbeck, author of A Sacred Thing, a detective story about the theft of an African shaman's mask that leads the readers from the Congo to the elite world of New York art dealers and collectors. Elizabeth Jones, author of literary fiction and our resident MFA in creative writing. And Kathy Nichols, author of The Sometimes Sister, a psychological thriller that explores the bonds of sisterhood and life after loss. Our flight is organic and our journey is ongoing. We invite you to join us along the way. Tonight, Wild Women are so excited to welcome Amanda Fulham. She is a firecracker. She's a Renaissance woman, an author. She, of course, has experience in several different kinds of writing, including technical. She coaches writers. She mentors. She's a parent. Did I leave anything out, Amanda? Um, I used to be a psychotherapist. And once upon a time, I was a really bad waitress, but I don't, <laughs> that doesn't really go on my resume. Uh, yeah, I, I think you could have used your psychotherapy in the waitress job, probably, but they probably didn't coincide. I was <laughs> terrible at it. I actually fell on <laughs> fell on a table. I was the worst waitress. Oh, I got that, a pity tip from that one. Oh, does that show up in any of your books? Not yet. It, it should. should. It yeah, should. Definitely. Definitely That's should. That's great. Uh, well, we want to start with your books because there's so many of them that I've read and really enjoyed. You have the trilogy with the marriage pact is the first part of the trilogy. And I'll let you talk about that in just a minute. But you also have some standalones. I really liked Every Other Saturday. I thought it oh, had a sweetness you. to it, you know, and as a person who had a had to work with a blended family, it had a lot of things that I could really relate to. And I imagine a lot of other people, too. But I, I thought that was I don't know. It was kind of special to me. Thank you. And then Sugar Street, which I totally love the name. And you have a knack for setting up a trail of situations that establishes all the different things that the reader is going to put together at some time. And I would like to know how you do that. Well, I tend to start from characters and I really do try to make things awful for my characters. I love flawed characters. If you've read my books, you know that they tend to make a lot of mistakes and be very real or at least real personality wise. And my goal is always to to make things as difficult for them as possible. Be, and some of it is that that's real life. That's what it is. I mean, sometimes you fall on the table when you're waitressing and that's the kind of thing that happens to me all the time and I always enjoy seeing myself reflected in books and so I I don't love books where the heroine or the hero are perfect and it's all just about how they're going to get together in the situation I love when they're a stone in their own shoe well I know 
Kim had noticed in the marriage pack some pretty interesting things about how you, like the stone in the shoe, sometimes literally is almost a stone in the shoe when Marcy's on her way. Kim? Yeah, I, well, I thought it was interesting that it must have been a very delicate balance with her because she did, Marcy in the marriage pack, did get herself in this situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, but we all get ourselves in situations. But it must have been difficult as a writer to make her sympathetic enough. And she was, certainly. That's why I kept reading, because I was written for. But also to to have these scenes where she's gotten herself in a situation where, you know, she's late for this appointment because she, you know, she couldn't find parking and she's been denied this um, advancing and going into this department because her lover, Doug, is, is married and he's afraid if he lets her be in this department and have this advance that they'll find out that they're seeing each other you know Mm -hmm. the other people in the company will find out they're seeing each other and all along did you worry that she might not be sympathetic that the reader might not be sympathetic enough towards her was that difficult I did a little bit worry about that and I definitely got some feedback like that even after the book was published I mean some of the negative reviews were about Marcy. Just the fact that she was in a relationship with a married man alone was Mm -hmm. enough to some people find that very upsetting. And that's just not my worldview on it. I've just been through enough in my life and known people who've been through so many different things in their lives. And even my background as a therapist feeds into it a little Mm -hmm. bit, just knowing that we're all flawed and broken in many ways. And I think I really loved the idea of the heroine of the story and heroines almost in quotes for her starts off in this terrible situation that she's totally walked straight into because we all do stupid things in our especially in our 20s and you know we get into bad relationships and or relationships that are not good for us and for a number of reasons and I loved taking that character and using the story and her relationship with her best friend Jake to sort of redeem her and that's For me, that was a big part of what the marriage pact was all about. It was that hypothetical college relationship where you'd say, okay, if we're not married by the time we're 30, we're going to marry each other. And, you know, that's kind of tropey and it's sort of a thing that's out there in pop culture. And um, it was a thing I joked about with friends in college. And I loved the idea, but I really wanted to see a little more depth to what that kind of promise, what would that really look like playing out? in a real life that is not at all sunny and perfect. And Jake doesn't even know at first that she's in this relationship with a married man. And how do they work through all that? And how does she change as a result of it? Life has so much gray area. It's comprised mainly of gray area. And as a writer, applauded that you you took that on. I mean, because it was a risk and maybe even a a scary risk as you were writing it because there would be a tendency to judge her harshly. But yeah, addressing the gray area. A brave choice, and I, I felt that you did it well because I felt very sympathetic towards her. But as I was, I was reading it, I was wondering, you know, was there a tendency to say, hmm, maybe as a writer I need to add some more sympathetic scenes, or is there too much here? Do I need to pull back? Do I need to add more here? You know, yeah. Walking that line as a writer, I would think, would be kind of difficult. You know, oh, if I add this, the readers are going to judge her harshly. Oh, I better pull that back. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think too, um, it's also about agency. It's about 
sympathy for the character. You know, you want to feel that you relate enough to a character that you can root for them in some way. And in a way, in the world of romance, she's almost an anti-hero. She's somebody who's violating all the rules of romance at the beginning by not respecting herself and not respecting someone else's relationship in their marriage. And so to be able to find love for her, for me, was really special and be able to make that work. And I think there's also, anytime you write any story, there's always a a line between the character having things happen to them and then the character having choices that they make that guide the plot forward. And the way that I thought about Marcy's situation is, you know, it was choices that she made that kind of got her into that position rather than, you know, she's just walking along minding her own business and something crazy happens, which is kind of a usual story setup. And so I really loved the idea that she was in her own mess to start with and had to kind of find her way out of it through finding love. I think it helped that it's not like she was so happy. She was miserable too right. in her choice. It's not, yes. So it's easier to root for because it's not like she's going, oh, I don't care that I'm messing someone else's life up. She was miserable. And really, she was victimized. She kind of let herself be victimized, which is nice when she takes control of it and says, no, I'm not going to be that way. So we, we feel validated that we hung in there mm-hmm. and, and cared about her. Now, she was the character in the first book in the trilogy. Was she your first character that you thought of when you were writing the trilogy? I think so. I did start, I started out with the idea of the friends, at least Marcy and Suzanne. Suzanne is the main character of the second book, Regrets Only. And I loved this idea of longtime friends and a a circle of friends that included not just Jake, but her girlfriends. Um, And then when I got to the third book in the trilogy, after I told Suzanne's story, which is very different than Marcy's story. She is an event planner and she has more stuff happens to her, but also she's flawed. She has a long list of past relationships that she's a little embarrassed about and that come kind of comes back to haunt her and she ends up in sort of a glitzier more traditional like novel situation and then in the third book I actually chose to again write the anti-hero where I was writing about the friend who was actually the villain in the marriage pact she's actually the one you're rooting against in the, the marriage pact because of her relation her desire for our hero Jake and so I kind of wanted to push myself again on that flawed hero thing and see if I could get Rebecca who none of us love in that first novel she seems like just a terrible mean person and it's kind of my nature to just go I wonder what she's like under all of that like let me talk to her and figure out what's gonna happen and again it's about redemption and about finding what's lovable about everyone which is a great quality in a writer and in a therapist why did you I mean, obviously, we're glad you wrote, but did you just decide, I think I'm just going to write therapy is something I'm going to put on hold or what happened? Well, I've been a writer for a lot longer than I was a therapist. Um, I was a writer basically from day one, second grade poem about a fire drill got published. I don't want to brag. I don't want to intimidate anyone. But it got published in the Due West Elementary School Literary Magazine. Okay. I believe I was one of the only second grade poets about how cold it was outside when we had a fire drill. But I I sort of got the bug then because I've always loved writing and I've written as part of my career my whole life just in different ways. And being a therapist was almost, I don't want to say it was a side journey for me because it was very substantial and really important in my life. 
but it was something that I did for a while and I did practice for about five years after getting my master's and I loved it and I loved working with people and I I loved everything that I learned in that process and I still use those skills today. But for me, my ability to manage all of that emotionally was just not there. I'm much more of a an extrovert, which is hard when you're a therapist or a writer. Mm-hmm. So being extroverted and needing needing two-way relationships, it can be really tiring to be just the sounding board for someone else all day. And I know you're like, I see you. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Gabby has therapists in her family and you understand that it's, it can be very trying and draining. And between that and having little kids, I just, I spent the time that I needed to being a therapist and I loved it. And I honor my therapist friends because their jobs are so incredibly hard, so much harder than I think we realize. And then I just got back into writing and then I've done more, you know, kind of corporate stuff as well um, since then. Yeah, I left when my youngest child was born. He just broke. I always joke that he broke me. (laughs) (laughs) Your boys are so adorable. She had a book launch that I went to, and these two little boys, what, maybe seven and nine-ish at the time, maybe, maybe, maybe younger. even younger than that. Yeah. yeah. They were in tuxedos with bow ties, <laughs> and they were escorting people into and giving us our gift bags and making sure we were settled and then heading back out to their post. It was the cutest thing. They, they love being like part it. of it. Yeah, they really do. They love a bow tie, too. They're good Southern kids. <laughs> see any um interest in writing popping up in them I don't actually it's really funny they both hate writing I mean they're not even neutral about it they both hate it and it's funny because I let go of the idea years ago that either of them would be interested in it it's it's always been for me very personal as mine and not something that I feel like I ever wanted to push on them and so it never hurt my feelings how much they dislike writing but they really dislike it but my younger one who's 10 now has really gotten into reading this year and they both have really severe ADHD and so do I and so we all kind of relate to not having the attention span to sustain focus on things So I almost resigned myself to the fact that they might not be great readers, which made me much more sad than the idea that they wouldn't want to be writers. But he has kind of fallen into um, fantasy and he's starting to get into reading for long extended periods of time, which just makes me so overjoyed. It's just the best one. When I taught high school, kids would say, I don't like to read. And I said, no, you just haven't found what you like to read. Yeah. And and we're probably not assigning things that you like to read. I'm sorry, but it's there. And I think the same is true of writing. I think that at some point, if you find something that you think only you can tell, that you might develop a love of writing. Because the way we teach writing is brutal. Five paragraphs, thing. It is. And, and I understand why we have to do that, but it seems like we just don't ever talk about the joy of writing. So I think they they may surprise you because they see that joy in you and they may get curious about it. I would love that. I mean, I'm obviously that would be exciting and I would love think my kids are the most brilliant kids in the world <laughs> and they obviously would have the best stories to tell if they decided to do that. But I also don't feel any of that sort of parental, this is something I love, so you have to love it too. Yeah, I I think that, I think that's smart. And I think that's the best way to get them to try is to say, I don't care whether you try it or not, be yourself. And they're like, oh, I'm not irritating her, so might as well try it. 
was it different? You Did you start with the trilogy? I did, yeah. The Marriage Pact was my first novel that I've written. Um, and then I went straight into Regrets Only when the Marriage Pact started kind of taking off. It sort of went viral in the early days when I initially self-published it. People started emailing me to ask where the next book was, and I completely <laughs> panicked. And I had Suzanne's character and her flaws kind of in my head and sort of knew her, but I hadn't really formed her story. And so I completely just freaked out and wrote that book in in three months um, just to have something to get out. And to this day, it is still everyone's favorite book. It's so funny Mm -hmm. to me that I wish I could make myself do that again, to have feel that kind of like both the freedom and the pressure at the same time mm-hmm. to get something done and get it out because people wanted it. Because I don't think I've I've ever quite captured that same level of readership that that's, Regrets that's Only had. Yeah. People have liked other things that I've written, but Regrets Only still is kind of a fan favorite. And I really want to capture that lightning in a bottle again yeah. somehow. Well, I'm, and I'm thinking you could have a reunion of the girls later on. Oh, like that would be 50s, fun. In their 50s. That's a great idea. Processes. Because oh, they're due really, for that. Yeah, they yeah. are. It was obviously very different for you to write a standalone. It yes. felt different. And I, I can't remember exactly how your Every Other Saturday ended, but I know it was, really didn't suggest that there was going to be no. an Every Other Sunday coming. Or, you know. <laughs> that would be funny, though. Yes, I think would. that's a football movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how, you mentioned self-publishing. You've had a really interesting journey with that. Do you mind sharing some of that? Sure. Yes, I can go on about it for hours, so you guys stop me. I started out self-publishing when I first wrote The Marriage Pact. It was 2010. It was just before self-publishing really took off as a legitimate thing to for writers to do. And I had toyed with writing a novel. It was sort of early versions of The Marriage Pact, but different for years. I'm sure all of you guys can relate to that as writers, how we play with things and you write 20,000 words and then you shelve it or you delete the file and you realize it's not going anywhere. It's the wrong story. And I had done that for years and years. And finally, when I had my oldest son, I was spent, I was working part-time and I was spending more time at home. And I started having this desire to write while he was napping and things like to fill that time, not with folding the laundry, but with doing something for myself. And I talked to my husband, who's the most amazing partner in the world and said, I would really like to take the time to do this, but your house will not be clean when you get home and dinner will not be ready. And the laundry, you know, it's just not going to be like that. You have a stay at home parent at home, but I really would like to give myself this chance to write a novel. And he's so amazing. He said the best thing a spouse can say to a writer, which is, you should absolutely do it. And even if you print it out and we put it in a drawer and you just someday tell our grandkids that you wrote a novel, that's enough. And I loved that. That unconditional support really was incredible for me. It really gave me permission to just do my thing. So I got it written and had some friends helping me revise it and critiquing it and things like that. And then I was starting to think about querying and trying to find an agent and doing all the traditional things that writers do when they've written a book um, to get it published. And then I found out I was pregnant with my second and I found out my dad had terminal lung cancer and a whole bunch of other things in our life just blew up. 
And so I realized that I had this manuscript in my hand, and if I didn't do something with it right then, I probably was not going to come back to it. You know, I had had a goal to write my first novel by the time I was 30. I was 35 when I finished it. And I just knew that there was a good chance I wouldn't come back if I didn't. And I had had a friend who her husband had done some self-publishing. He was having a good bit of success. Um, He writes YA fantasy stuff. And so I talked to him and he sent me an email with some resources and I just went for it. And I made thousands of mistakes. I did all kinds of things that you should never do when you're self-publishing. So I really learned the hard way. But I did it, and I was just really proud that I had done it. And for the first six months or so that it was up on Amazon, I went through the KDP platform and published that way. And yeah, so, and I still publish that way. I love it. My husband's cousin did the, she's a graphic designer. She did the cover for me. It was very sort of chop choppy. And six months went by and maybe 300 people bought the book. Like it was mostly people that we knew and maybe a few others. And I remember being really excited when I got a review from the first person I didn't actually know. (laughs) It was, it was amazing. And then something happened where I got on a list that was going out to readers and Kindle brought out their free promos for the first time. And so I decided to try a free promotion just to see what would happen. And I got onto a couple of lists that were just in their nascent stages at the time. And people downloaded 100,000 copies of the book over the next probably wow. like wow. a couple of weeks. So I went from 300 to like lots and lots. That's um, incredible. It was incredible. And I could never do it again. People always ask me for advice. And I, I just it really had nothing to do with me. It was more just being in the right place at the right mm-hmm. time. And so that's when I kind of got back on the horse and started writing Regrets Only because people were asking about that and starting to try to ride the wave. And I did that and enjoyed it for several years before I ended up getting them republished with uh, Macmillan in New York um, through the Atlanta Writers Conference, actually. I met my editor there and she was excited and took them and and republished them. So that was, it was kind of cool for them to get a second life in traditional publishing. Yeah. So you got to compare both, but in a little different way because it was a republication. Yes. Which would be, I guess, a little different experience. But you enjoyed working with the editor and you enjoyed working with the publisher. I I did. Yeah. There were some pros and cons about that experience that I, you know, I talk to people about when they're trying to decide. There are trade-offs no matter what you do as a writer, whether you go traditional or small press or self-publishing or hybrid. There's always trade-offs in terms of you know, the money that you get or the exposure that you get or the amount of power that you have. And when you have more power, you have to also do more work. There's a lot of choices out there, which I think is great for people who are writing right now, because you can really make your own path depending on what works for you, um, which I think is really cool. Yeah. and, And I like the idea that the timing was a crucial factor in your decision to go ahead and self-publish. It's kind of like, how long do I want to wait? Yeah. And will I wait? Will I just give up or whatever? So I think that's a lot of thick that people kind of don't listen to their own internal clock when they're thinking about it. You know, yeah. And what, what, what needs to happen. So that's exciting. Well, I've been asking most of the questions. Somebody else like to ask something? Gabby? You said you made 20,000 mistakes. At the least. first one, can you tell me two of them? <laughs> <laughs> well. Or the, any of them. Yeah. So one was I had, and she's a lovely 
person, and this was not her fault at all, but the person who, the friend who helped me edit the book the first time around, there was a miscommunication between her computer and my computer, and I didn't catch it before I uploaded the file. And so there were typos in the first two chapters because of the way that are because I did not go back myself and double check everything. So that was part of it was when you lean on friends, you really have to be the last, even when you pay someone professionally, you still have to check your work. Um, And that's a, that's always been a blind spot for me. But I was lucky because another friend of mine who's very, he's very detail oriented, let's say, happened to download it and emailed me immediately. And he was like, I don't know if you know this, but there are some typos in your first couple of chapters, you may want to go check. So I was able to correct it. But it was kind of terrifying, and embarrassing to have it out there. And so that was a hard lesson to learn that I needed to go through and correct myself and double check. So stuff like that. I didn't know enough about genre when I was writing. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I have learned through difficult experience was my books tend to be a crossover between romance and women's fiction. They're really rom-com, which right now rom-com has become a thing again. People are actually writing it. It's going well. So, of course, that's when I'm not writing. <laughs> so that's happening without me um, right now. But at the time, 10 years ago, when I was when I was writing it, there wasn't a lot of market for that. And I didn't know enough to know that I needed to figure out how my book was going to fit in. I just thought I'm writing a story that I would want to read and I'm just going to put it out there and people will find it if they want to. And I think that that's that's a common sort of rookie mistake that we make as writers is just thinking that our story is so special that we don't need to package it in a way that it will make sense to readers. Mm -hmm. And so that was another hard lesson that I've I've since learned to be much more mindful of genre and to really study the genres Mm -hmm. that I'm writing in. And when you take a look at it from the marketing perspective, you understand you can't just say, oh, it's a great story. Right. Put it under the sh- on the shelf under great stories. Right. Because yes. you know, everybody wants theirs on that. that because shelf. when you go to Amazon, that's the first thing you type in is, I would like a great story yeah, today. Exactly. That's what I'm looking right. for. So, I did that earlier today. Did you really? Yeah. No, <laughs> not at all. Well, you know, and it is something that I, I do hear a lot of people say. I didn't say it exactly that way, but I was like, I, I don't know. It's kind of a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I think there is a gentler outlook for a little bit of genre blending sure. now because I think people, but you still have to talk, say, what shelf do you want it on in your head? Yeah. yeah, well, and I think you, the main thing for me is reader expectations. I think reader expectations plays a really important part in our discussion too. And our, uh, the way we dealt with the novel in, in the group, uh, April and I have a much longer history of being wild women, and I will read it. I like to read just about everything, and so trying different genres is fun for me. I may or may not return to them. Obviously, I liked yours because I read all three of them, <laughs> and and I felt like I kind of felt like it would be wrong not to at least give Rebecca a try in the third one. You know, I kept kind of felt like they weren't my girls, but I could get it. But and April had a, an interesting take on that. April. Well, I've I've only read the Marriage Pact, the first mm-hmm. one, and I was and I read some of the reviews, of course, and it was described or your books were you know rom com, and I found there were parts of the Marriage Pact that were heavy and somber too, mm-hmm. uh, and I I almost read it you, it could be taken as a morality tale. Mm. Young impressionable woman gets involved with an older, more sophisticated, handsome man. 
And girl, you know, you know, you're <laughs> going to get hurt. But it wasn't a trite story. It had depth, and that was important. And I think your writing, your skillful writing, with her introspection was very important. You learned a bit more about what she was going through early years and what she wanted to become, mm-hmm. as opposed to where she was. And it's almost as though she was living her life at that point through Doug, in mm-hmm. a way, and perhaps postponing the reality of having to take hold of a life sure. and make something of it. And the decision was forced on her, and she was crushed. But the other side of the coin, Doug was not a stick figure. You mm. gave him depth as well. He came across as a nice guy who really did care about her. And we have no idea, really, because you wrote it so well. If his wife hadn't told him she was expecting, he was almost on the verge, I think, of considering leaving mm-hmm. and going off with Marcy. How did you work with that? Because... The truth comes out later. Yes. You know, it's interesting. I think the stick figure comment really resonates with me that it it was important to me that even though Doug is in this narrative, he's the villain in in the whole, you know, first half of the book and he's not a good guy. We don't want to see Marcy end up with him even if he did decide to leave his wife. I think with the benefit of some experience, we... We would all look at that and say, that doesn't bode well for your relationship. I think it's important for characters, the characters I write, to be real humans. And so I've never loved when I pick up a book or I'm watching a a movie and rom-coms can be bad at this or they can be wonderfully really good at it where characters are either all good or all bad and there's it's much more like a sitcom where it's sort of the things are happening around them and they just sort of land in it and it's hilarious and and I love that aspect of it but I really also like that human nature piece of it that everyone is the hero of their own story even stupid old Doug is the hero (laughs) of his own story and so I always try to put something in there that humanizes the characters and, and makes them makes it believable that you would get into a relationship with this guy because on the surface it's just a horrible idea and so I didn't want the reader to not even understand why Marcy would be interested in that or why she would fall for that may not be the right term but why she would allow herself to get into that situation because she certainly did and I think your point about delaying adulthood was certainly a big part of that it let her live in a fantasy Um, when you have something that's hidden from the world it's also protected so secrets that's I think that's a big draw of secret relationships or secret behaviors is that we don't we don't have to interface with reality when we're hiding something from reality and I think that's what part of what was so interesting about Marcy's life at that stage is that she's kind of in limbo And even if the characters have good and bad, that's this part about relationships that you don't see. There's this public part of a relationship and there's a private part of a Mm -hmm. relationship. And if you see somebody, for instance, who's going out with somebody you don't like and you're like, oh, they're all horrible. Well, you might not be seeing the part where they're in private and maybe that person isn't all horrible. Mm -hmm. And with Marcy and Doug, it's like, well, there's, you know, they're more rounded than that. People Mm -hmm. are good and bad at the same time. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I think... 
I, so I'm in my second marriage now. I was married briefly before, and I also spent time as a marriage therapist. And one of the things I've learned is that you never know what's going on inside a relationship until you're in it. And so I, I really love playing with that idea and kind of taking the conventional relationships and sort of exploring well, what's that really like? Because it's a situation that happens all the time, right? Absolutely. People stray from their marriages, people... But what, is the, what does it really look like to be in it? And it, it also deals with the question of when people are trapped in a situation or in what they would say is a bad situation, there's still something about it that makes them stay sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's part of the abusive relationship a paradigm, but it's also there's some there's there was something that attracted you to the person that still may be there, and you keep thinking it might get better and better because it was there. Mm-hmm. And Marcy wasn't really abused, but it was abusive. I thought it was an abusive relationship. There was definitely a power differential yes, in their yes, relationship so for sure. Yeah. So I think that's so interesting. But well, I'm not going to ask you what you're going to do now that you not, aren't writing right now because in one of the in a book I have coming out slight little promo there the author says she's thinking about the narrator says she's thinking about making a career change from being a writer and her agent says honey writing is not a choice it's a condition Mm -hmm. so you you're stuck you're an author you're Mm -hmm. born an author somehow and with understanding the power of words and of using them to tell your own story so some no matter what you're doing I know that writing is going to play an important part do you have any next exciting steps going on? I have been writing a little bit. The last couple of months I've been I picked up a, a book that I've been I've been working on this book for five years. Is it the one that you went to England? Yes. I went to England to do some research for it. It was an amazing trip. I wish I could bring the the reason to fruition and actually have something to show show for it. But it was it's something I it's a book that's very different from anything I've written. It has some magic and fantasy pieces of it. It's a lot of world building. Um, the premise is a woman who um, goes through a portal in Glastonbury, England, and ends up trapped in her favorite author's imagination. Ooh. So she's navigating these like romance worlds to try to get out, and there's a guy that accidentally follows her in, and they're trying to get through these fictional worlds to get out together. So it's a lot. Um, It started out as kind of a funny idea that I had. And when I started writing it, I realized how what a big undertaking it is to write something like that. So I've been working on it off and on for about five years. And finally, kind of, I went back to it a little bit a couple months ago, and then I've also been tinkering with some other stories. So that's exciting. I'm excited to be moving yeah. again. I took about a year and a half off, and I was only doing technical writing. I got really busy during the pandemic, which is kind of opposite of what happened yeah. for a lot of people. I was traveling a ton for work and going to factories and stuff with my technical writing, which I I enjoyed, but it was very surreal to be getting on airplanes while everybody else was like hungering down. Yeah. And so I've, I've enjoyed being busy and I got in touch with my agent a few months ago and said, you know, I'm back. I still exist. I'm still alive. And she, she was like, I think you needed this break. You know, you needed to be able to step away from your fiction and just focus on something else for a while. And so it was kind of cleansing because I don't feel a lot of the pressures that I was feeling, you know, two years ago to like, I have to write the next book that lines up with this or I have to do whatever I think is expected of me, you know, these imaginary 
things that we come up with that people are expecting. Well, when you are a writer and you kind of work for yourself, you have to set your, you set your own goals mm-hmm. and expectations. You just don't realize that you don't really have to meet those goals and expectations. You, you don't take the power. I set it. I can change it. Right. And yeah. so you yes. can, and that's what I think you're doing, which is great. Well, I was going to say uh, switching genres, because mm-hmm. if you're writing just one sort of book, the readers come to expect the sequel to be mm-hmm. more of the same. And sometimes they're disappointed in that no matter how darn good it is, you get a little, oh, I was hoping you know, such and such. Uh, I think that's changed. In the past, it's very hard for writers to step out of it's like acting. Mm. You know, the audience expects a certain kind of performance from a certain kind of actor. And there can be blowback from that. Is that something that's been in the back of your mind or you're feeling, hell, I want to tell this story? Sure, I think so. I mean, and having not done a good job initially of understanding reader expectations Mm -hmm. and just kind of blowing past them without understanding what I was blowing past, I learned more about genre and I've learned more about whatever you write, you have to find a way of communicating to readers what it is if you want people to buy it. If you don't care if people buy it, you can do whatever you want. And so that's been a hard one lesson. And then you reach a stage, it's sort of like learning the rules of grammar so that you can then intentionally break them in your writing. It's the same with the the rules of genre marketing. It's knowing that you're breaking them and why you're breaking them and what the pitfalls are going to be so that you can navigate around those but still being able to write the story that's calling to you even if it means you know using a different pen name or whatever it might take Mm -hmm. well or or even you're still going to have characteristics of the rom-com in this novel you're working on yes so i could see how you could do a really cool promo of you bring the rom-com to the fantasy world and breaking through barriers and genres so be exciting (laughs) <laughs> exciting is a good word I'm going to hang on to that word <laughs> well it, it has been so wonderful having you here tonight it's been it's, delightful it, I enjoyed being here and I have to say it's really special because we're also celebrating the success of Kim Conry hey. who has been picked up by Black Rose Writing my publisher too really nice group out of Texas and tell us a little bit about that Miss Kim well yeah I'm really excited it's it's I wrote it probably four or five years ago, mm-hmm. and it's been through critique group many times, and edited many times, and rewritten here and there, and finally, yes, it's it's found a home at Black Rose, and it will be out in September of next year. I'm really excited. Congratulations. Yes, and I, I just have to say thank you to all these wonderful, supportive writing friends here that have just been so supportive. And just so helpful, and not just with critique, but with encouragement. It, it has just meant the world to me. And if you don't have to go it alone, don't highly suggest finding your tribe, your writing tribe, people who will support you. And not always tell you what you want to hear, though. <laughs> tell you what you need to work on, too, you know? And that's really the, the vision of Wild Women Who Write, is women authors supporting other women authors, authors, it's just as exciting. Well, not just as exciting, but it's almost as exciting for me to hear about Kim's success as it is to know 
that I've gotten something done too. So it, I feel like we feel that way about all of us, and that really makes it special and important. And that's why we're so happy you were here to share it with us. Oh my gosh, I'm delighted. delighted. I feel so very check, honored. Check out MJ Pullen, and you'll see all the things she's written and done, and you'll be impressed. And if you haven't read anything she's written, I feel sorry for you. So you should <laughs> do it. So read it. Yes. <laughs> read it already. Thank you. Thank you for joining us tonight. We welcome your comments and invite you to check out our Wild Women Who Write website. Until next time, keep writing and stay wild.